You're listening to the Van Moody Podcast. Our passion is transforming the world by transforming lives. In today's episode, we'll examine the role that excessive baggage plays in our lives and how it can hinder our relationship and ultimately hold us back from our destiny. Let's get started. Uh, I'm excited because we are starting a brand new two-week series called The Cost of Excess Baggage. The Cost of Excess Baggage. Uh, Hence the the baggage you see on the stage, hence the opening video. And I want you to meet me in 1 Samuel chapter 10, beginning at verse number 1. You can remain seated, but the scriptures are right there in the app. You can follow along with us on the screen or even if you brought your Bible. 1 Samuel chapter 10, beginning at verse number 1, and then we're going to drop down to verse 20. It says, Then... Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him. This is when Saul is anointed and chosen to be the first king of Israel. And Samuel anointed his head and kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? Drop down to verse 20. Because after Samuel anoints Saul, Samuel pulls the entire nation together to reveal who God has chosen. And it says, when Samuel had all Israel come forward by tribes, the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. Then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin, clan by clan, and Matri's clan was taken. Finally, Saul, son of Kish, was taken. And when they had looked for him, he was not to be found. So they inquired further of the Lord, has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, yes, but he's hidden himself. Where? Among the baggage. So Saul is selected. Samuel says, this is the man that God has chosen to be the first king of Israel. And when people look for him and say, where is he? And they say, well, God, is he here? God says, yes, he's here, but look behind all that baggage. They ran and brought him out, and he stood among the people, and he was a head taller than any of the others. And Samuel said to all of the people, do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. Then the people shouted, long live the king. I want to talk for the next couple of weeks about the cost of excess baggage. This series is really about relationships, whether you're married, single, married, want to be single, single, want to be married, divorced, widow, somewhere in between. I want to talk about the cost of excess baggage. And this series in particular is really near and dear to my heart because on today, my lovely wife and I are celebrating 12 amazing years of marriage. It's our anniversary. Anniversary. I guess you guys have never heard that song. Okay. Well, this series and this subject in particular... It's a big deal for me because celebrating 12 amazing years of marriage, the truth is when I look back over those years, when I think about when I first met my wife long before we got married, what I realized is that I had a lot of emotional baggage. And the the fact that God has blessed us for 12 amazing years is, is really because God walked me through unpacking my excess baggage. The truth is, I talk a lot about, about my story and some of my baggage in my book, The People Factor, but the main thing I want you to understand is that, is that it was my baggage that almost caused me to miss one of the greatest things God has ever done for me in introducing me to my wife. And I share that in the very beginning because the truth is, if we can be honest, we all gather emotional baggage over the course of our lives. Some of you are thinking, well, what is emotional baggage? Emotional baggage is the negative, unprocessed emotions that we've acquired over the years. And these feelings come from places and people and behavior and even experiences from our past that we still allow to have a negative impact on our present. We all gather emotional baggage as we journey through life. But the problem is that when we collect excess baggage, baggage that we, that we don't unpack, what it does 
is it prevents us from having meaningful relationships and it ultimately jeopardizes our future. And over the many years of me serving God and serving people, unfortunately, I have seen many, many God-ordained relationships and opportunities fail unnecessarily only because people didn't deal with their excess baggage. And I want to say this, and I want you to hear me very clearly. The failure of God-ordained relationships and opportunities is completely unnecessary. It doesn't have to end the way that, unfortunately, many relationships end. But it happens far too often because people simply are carrying excess baggage. And when those relationships fail, here's a rebuttal that a lot of people give. Well, I I can do fine on my own. I mean, I, I don't need them. I'm, I'm good. I'm anointed. I'm straight. I can work it by myself. And we have songs and we have mantras. You know, I can, I, on my own, I'm good. Right, right. But here, here's, here's the problem, though. We say that, and a lot of times we say that as a rebuttal or as a defense mechanism. And what we miss is that from the very beginning of time until now, whenever God has done anything in the world and anything in the life of people, guess how he's done it? Through relationships. And I know some people get so deep and so spiritual and they say, well, I, I, don't, I don't need anybody. God is so awesome, Pastor, that if God wants to bless me, he can send a check in the mail. But yeah, but wait a minute, boo, you still need a relationship to get that check. The mailman has to deliver it. He still is working through people and through relationships. I, I say this to you because I want you to understand this. People relationships are the vehicles, the conduits through which God works in our lives. Think about it for a moment. When God wanted to create a nation for himself, he did it through a person, a man by the name of Abraham and his relationships. When God wanted to to, to liberate the children of Israel from Egyptian slavery, how did he do it? He did it through a person, a man by the name of Moses and his relationships. When God wanted to move those individuals out of the wilderness into the promised land, how did he do it? He did it through a person, a man by the name of Joshua, and his relationships. Many years later, when when they were exiled and God allowed them to come back to Jerusalem, to the promised place, and they needed to rebuild the city and rebuild the walls, how did God do it? He did it through a person, a man named Nehemiah, and his relationships. When God wanted to extend salvation to humanity, how did he do it? He did it through a person, a man named Jesus. And guess how we're saved? Through our relationship with him. I want you to understand that God works through people and relationships. But if you have excess baggage, it will cause you to miss God's very best for your life Because you will forfeit the relationships through which God is often working. The background of the the verses of scripture that we read a moment ago is that God is working through Samuel. The children of Israel ask for a king and God reveals to Samuel who's serving as priest who that king is going to be. And God calls Samuel to anoint Saul and and he anoints Saul he says Saul God has chosen you and he says you go down ahead of me I'm going to come down I'm going to pull the entire nation together and then I'm going to present you to them as their new king and sure enough that's what he does he pulls the nation together and he goes through tribe by tribe and says God has chosen Benjamin the tribe of Benjamin and then he goes through the tribe of Benjamin and says Matri's clan, and, and he whittles it down and says, and the man that God has chosen to be king is Saul. Saul, come on down. And he doesn't move. And the people say, what, is, is, is he here? Samuel says, God, uh, where is Saul? God says, oh, he, he's over there, but he's, he's, he's hiding. What is he hiding behind? He's hiding behind baggage. The baggage is preventing him from moving into what God has called him to, what God has ordained for him. And and the story of Saul is a tragic story because the same baggage that he is hiding behind when he is called 
to be king over the nation of Israel is the same baggage that trips him up and ultimately causes God to move on from Saul and to ultimately choose David. It's his baggage that cost him one of the greatest opportunities that God had ever extended to him in his life. Now, the airlines, they've gotten pretty, pretty wise because the airlines will now, will now charge you if you have excess baggage. I was traveling recently with my family, and, and as we were going through the ticket counter, there, there was a man who, who had a whole bunch of baggage, and, and, and the lady, she just said, uh, sir, uh, sir, I'm sorry, you have, you have too, too many bags, you have too much baggage, uh, and it's, it's, it's going to cost you three, $300, sir, if you want to take all of this baggage, and he just got an attitude, I can't believe this, and, uh, and he was smacking his teeth and looking around, and he was, uh, all kinds of expletives were coming out of his mouth, and he was huffing and puffing, and, and she said, um, she said, sir, um, we didn't pack all these bags. I don't know why you're getting mad at us. You pack these bags, sir. This is, this is your baggage. And if you want to travel on our airlines with your baggage, it's going to cost you $300. What am I trying to tell you? Not only in air travel, but in life, excess baggage will cost you. Teach, pastor, I intend to. So first of all, let me share with you some of the sources of the emotional baggage that threatens relationships. Let me, let me give you some of the sources. And, and you, you hear it in how Saul responds to Samuel when Samuel anoints him. When Samuel first meets Saul and he says, God has chosen you to be the first king of Israel. Pay attention to what Saul says in response to Samuel but because he's, he's showing us some of the sources of this excess baggage, where, where some of this baggage comes from in 1 Samuel 9 and 21. Notice what Saul says to Samuel in response. Saul answered and says, but wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Am I not a Benjamite? From the smallest tribe of Israel, and is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you say such stuff to me? In that statement alone, he's pointing to several sources of excess baggage. One of the sources that, that he alludes to right off the bat, number one, are family issues. Family issues. Family issues often are a big source of our baggage. When, when Saul says, but I'm a Benjamite. He's talking about the fact that he is a descendant of the tribe of, of Benjamin. Benjamin, Benjamin was the last son born, born to Jacob and Rachel. Rachel, Rachel, in fact, dies in childbirth, dies in the process of giving birth to Benjamin. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a horrific story, so much so that in her dying breath, she names him Benoni, which literally means son of my sorrow. She, she's, she's dying and she says, this is so painful. You're causing me sorrow. I'm trying to give birth to you and I'm dying. And she names him Benoni. But then later, his, his father, Jacob, changes his name from Benoni, son of my sorrow, to Benjamin, son of my right hand. And so, and so Saul says, well, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. All of my family issues, I grew up without my mom, and, and, and I was the, the cause of my mother's death. And Saul is saying, so, so, so my family issues clearly ought to disqualify me from this opportunity. This is why parents, particularly, when you have children, your relationship decisions are not your own. Uh, parents just say, well, it's just, I got to do what I got to do. This is my life. I can't, I can't live my life for them. Well, no, wait a minute. You, you partially do because your decisions shape your children's understanding of who they are and even how they approach relationships. Well, so what are, what are the number one source? Family issues. Here's another one, past issues. When he says that I'm a Benjamite, he's also referencing the fact that when you look at the history of the children of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin had a pattern of making bad decisions. And so Saul is saying, but wait a minute, my tribe, I'm not a Levite. I'm not, I'm not from, from the creme de la creme. I'm not from the upper echelon of tribes. My tribe has got a history of making bad decisions. See, I hear a lot of people talking about generational curses, but I don't hear as many people talking about generational patterns. Because, because it's your patterns 
that affect not just you. Your patterns of decisions are not just about you. They affect the generations coming behind you. Several generations removed. Saul is saying, it can't be me because my tribe, they always make bad decisions. Another source of emotional baggage, number three, are daddy issues. Yeah, if you can't say amen, just say ouch. Daddy issues. When, when, when Saul, look at this, when Saul has this encounter with Samuel, Saul is literally on an errand for his father. His father sends Saul to go look for lost livestock. His father is, is a farmer. So, so, so part of the reason he has this baggage is because he's just following in the footsteps of his father. And he's thinking, my dad did this, and so, so you know, my dad's a farmer, so, so I'm out here looking for some lost livestock, and now you're telling me that I'm supposed to be the king? He's like, no, 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 that, that can't be the fact. It can't be right. A big source of baggage for a number of people are dad issues. In one way or another, a big source of baggage comes back to the father. Maybe it's the absence of the father. Maybe it's the example of the father. This was my biggest source of emotional baggage. My, 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 my dad wasn't around when I was growing up. I have no memory of my father being in the house, and I grew up uh, frustrated and angry because my dad wasn't there. And I was petrified of marriage, scared to death of marriage. Because I was afraid that, that I was going to end up messing it up just like my father did. So what I had in my mind, I don't know if, I don't know if the singles can, can be honest today and, and identify with this, but this is how I used to roll. I had this mental checklist in my mind. And I had this checklist, and whenever I would meet a woman, if she did not meet everything on my list. Right, see, I wish y'all could be real. Bessemer, Aniston, online, I know y'all with me. I had this mental checklist, and I would go through check, check, oh, no, she don't have that. Okay, this is nice meeting you. That's it. (laughs) Because for me, I thought, well, the easiest way that I can hopefully do this thing right is that I have to find somebody that has every box checked, but there's no such person. But I had that issue because it went all the way back to my father, Teach Pastor Van. This is why, fathers, let me say this to you. I I understand that the greatest thing that I could ever do for my children, beyond providing, beyond, uh, you know, going to their games, all that's important. But the greatest thing that I can do for my children, listen to me, fathers, is love their mother. That's the greatest thing I can do for my children. Because it's in how I love their mother that I am shaping their life. My children will grow up understanding what marriage is, not by what they heard or watched on TV or read in a book, but by what they saw teach from their father and their mother. Here's another big source. Number four, insecurity issues. That's a big source. Last thing Saul says to Samuel is, why why do you say such things to me? Samuel's anointing him. He says, God has chosen you. He says, what, what, what? Why do, you, why, do you, why do you say this to me? I'm, the, I'm from Benjamin's tribe. I'm the least of the clan. Surely you're not talking to me. It can't be you got this thing wrong. He says, why do you say such things to me? Because, because of his family issues, because of his past issues, because of his daddy issues, they left him with insecurity issues. We did a Twitter poll, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this today. I'm going to really unpack this on next week. But we did a Twitter poll uh, over 130 some odd thousand people connect with us on Twitter. And we just did a poll. We said, what do you think is the, the main reason for baggage in relationships? And, and overwhelmingly, 48% of the people that responded, they all said insecurity. Wrap your mind around that. This is why sometimes when people are responding, you don't need to respond to the way they respond. You got you to be wise enough to see behind what they say. Because often the source that is fueling what they say or even how they say it is not you. It's something deeper than that. Some of it is insecurity. These are some of the sources of our excess baggage. But secondly, you got to know the signs that you have too much baggage in relationships. You got to know the signs, because I can tell just by the way that you're looking at me. 
Some wives are like nudging their husbands, like, you, you, hear, you hear what pastor's saying? This is for you. This, this is for you. Some of you looking like, I got this, pastor. I'm with you. We right here. T- look at him. Look, oh, look over there. Look at him, pastor. Point your finger in his direction. I was just telling this to him on last night. He got too much baggage. Hold on before you dismiss it and think it's just for him. What? Hold on a second. Hold on. Let, let's, let's, let's see if you have some of the signs that you have too much baggage. Here's a big sign. When you play the blame game, that's a sign that you, you carry an excess baggage in, in, in your relationships. Maybe they're professional. Maybe they're personal. Uh, may, maybe they're friendships, platonic relationships. But when you play the blame game, have you ever met someone that is never their fault? I mean, it could be their responsibility in their home, in their lap. What happened? See, what had happened was, see, when Tony and them, see, he did this, and then what it led from here to here. That's the only reason I'm dealing with this right now. I guess nobody's ever met anybody like that. Here's another one. When you have control issues. Number two, when you have control issues, that's a sign that you have excess baggage. And here's the thing about control. The desire to control often happens because at some point in a person's past, there were things that happened that were out of their control. And so, and so from that painful, hurtful, frustrating, or disappointing experience, what they vowed is that I will never again be there. And so they go through life trying to control and manipulate everything so that they can keep it from ever hurting them again. But here's the problem. You can't control people. People need freedom to make their own decisions. And the truth is, sometimes those decisions will be the right ones. Sometimes they will be the wrong ones. But it's their own decision. But if if you got control issues, that's a sign that you're carrying too much baggage. Here's another one. When you are unable to receive criticism. When you are unable to receive criticism, that's a sign. Ooh, it got really quiet in here. That's a sign that, that, that you got too much baggage. And let me tell you why this sign is really dangerous, because the truth is we all have blind spots. Doesn't matter how great your vision is. I have to wear glasses. Maybe you don't, but you can go to any eye doctor, any ophthalmologist, and they will tell you that no matter how good or how poor your sight is, everybody is born with blind spots. There are things about us that we cannot see. That's part of the reason why God will send people in your life to help point out those blind spots so that you can move further down the road of your purpose and your destiny. I've, I've learned, I've learned over the 12 years that that's one of the greatest gifts that God has given me through my wife. Now, when we were dating and all that stuff years ago, she'd say, yeah, I don't think you want to go there. And I'm like, what? I, I got this. I guess I, I got that nobody else has ever had that kind of conversation. <laughs> Brothers, listen to me. I, I got this. This is what I say. I got this. I got this. And it will blow up in my face. And then she'd say later on, say, how did that, uh, <laughs> how'd that work out for you? And, you know, oh, so I don't want to talk about it right now. See, why are you trying to bring it up? You trying to throw it up in my face. She said, I was, just, I was just wondering, but on the inside, I was cringing. Because God was like, I, I tried to tell you. Here's another one. Number four, when you always have a negative mindset. Here's another sign of, of baggage. When you always have a negative mindset. Have you met anybody that no matter what it is, they are always negative? I mean, they could be holding a winning lottery ticket in their hand. They're like, I, I'm, I'm, I don't, you know, you can't really trust these. I'm going to double check this because, it, you know, it looks like a one to me. You say it's a seven. I don't really believe it. I mean, no matter what is going on, they're always negative. That negativity comes from excess baggage that has not been unpacked. Have you ever paid attention to how optimistic children are? I mean, children are are hopeful. They're optimistic. You know why? Because we're all born that way. But then what happens? Life happens. Disappointments and and letdowns. And then if you don't unpack those bags, you build walls and you try to do life from behind those walls. And that's that place of negativity. 
And then there are some people who say, oh, I, I, was just, I was just born this way. This is just the way I am. Well, no, that's not true. As a matter of fact, it's been scientifically proven that when babies are born, talking about fear and negativity, babies are only born with two fears. The fear of loud noises and the fear of falling. Everything else that leads us down the road of negativity, guess what? It's learned behavior. So guess what? If you learn how to do it, then guess what? You can unlearn it. Teach Pastor Van. I am. Here's, here's the last one. Last sign. When you are stuck in the past. This is a sign that you're carrying too much baggage. When you're stuck in the past. When you cannot move past the past, it's a really big sign that you got excess baggage. When you're holding on to stuff that happened five years ago, 15 years ago, 30 years ago. You just don't understand, Pastor. You're 45. Yeah, but see, see, when I was 15, see, my cousin did this to me, and I, see, that's why I don't trust my family. You can't trust family. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. We're talking about something that happened 30 years ago. And oftentimes, here's what we say when we're stuck in the past. Well, I'm just, I'm just, let me just move on. But when you're stuck in the past, you don't go anywhere. As a matter of fact, when you are stuck in the past, you take the bricks from your past into your present and future and ultimately build the same house. And what's worse than that is that often when you're stuck in the past, you make the people of your present pay for the pain that the people of your past called you, caused you. This is part of the reason why it's so hard sometimes to recognize your blessings when they're right in your face. Because you are not seeing them with, with clear lenses. You're looking at the people that God has sent in your life to bless you, to help you. But you're looking at them through the lens of the people that hurt you in your past. You got to understand the sources of the excess baggage. You got to recognize, number two, the signs that you have excess baggage. But thirdly and finally, let's deal with the solutions. The solutions to this excess baggage. When, when, when God brings the nation together, and, and Samuel says, I, I'm going to show you who God has chosen to be king, Saul is, Saul is hiding. Hiding, hiding behind the baggage. And sadly, it's this same baggage that causes God to move on from Saul to David and causes Saul to miss God's very best for his life. Look at 1 Samuel 15 and verse 10. Notice what God says to Samuel. He says, then the word of the Lord came to Samuel and God says this, I regret that I have made Saul king. God says, I I, an all-knowing God, I am grieved that I gave him a shot because he's turned away from me and he has not carried out my instructions. And Samuel was angry and cried out to the Lord all night. You drop down to verse 23 when Samuel goes to Saul and Samuel says this to Saul, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. And if you pay close attention to what Saul does not do, it gives us the recipe for how to deal with our excess baggage. The first thing is you got to confront it. No, number one, you, you have to confront it. God gives Saul instructions. You go, you defeat the Amalekites, you completely destroy everything. Saul doesn't do that. He, he does something totally different. And then notice what happens. It, it says in, in 1 Samuel 15 verse 12, early in the morning. Samuel got up, he went out to meet Saul, but he was told Saul has gone to Carmel. There he set up a monument in his own honor, and he's turned and gone down to Gilgal. And when Samuel reached him, notice what Saul says. Saul says, the Lord bless you. I carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel says, um, well, what is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? God says, Saul, you go, you defeat the Amalekites, you wipe out everything. He doesn't do that. Samuel shows up and Saul doesn't even confront that he's wrong. He just says, hey, how you doing? God bless you. 
hey, I did everything. I did it. I did it. We're good. I did everything God asked me to do. Samuel says, whoa, wait a second. I hear sheep. I, I, hear, I, hear, I hear cattle. Saul doesn't do what God told him to do, but watch this. He won't even acknowledge it. He doesn't even admit it. It would have been a lot different if he said, Samuel, I know what you're going to ask me. Listen, I, I made a mistake. Let me explain to you. Let me at least tell you up front. I, I did not do exactly what God told me to do. But no, he pretends that he really did. Hey, God bless you. Good to see you. You're looking good. Yeah, I, I was straight. I took care of it. Samuel says, no, 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 no. I, I hear sheep. I hear cattle. His baggage impacts his behavior, but he won't even confront it. And the thing is, you cannot conquer what you won't confront. Part of the reason that we stay stuck in the past, overwhelmed by our excess baggage, is because we won't confront it. The difference between victims and victors is what you're willing to confront. When you hide from your baggage and run from your baggage and ignore your baggage, your baggage will forever define your life and you will be a victim. But when you face it, that's when you go from being a victim to a victor. When you confront it and say, yes, I did that. I made a mistake, but God brought me through it. And yes, I dropped the ball, but this is what I learned. And yes, I had some bumps in the road, but it made me a better person. And, and my mindset is different. That is what God is after. See, the issue is we think, we think that what, what attracts people to us, we think that what, what moves people is when we portray this image that we have it all together. And so we break our necks. You see it on social media. You, you, you see it when you, when you greet people. We, we break our necks trying to portray this image that we have it all together. How are you? I'm blessed and highly favored, brother. No, no, tell that lie. You could be going through right now. And, and, and we won't want anybody to know. I'm fine. I'm fine. We could be crying all the way to church. Put our makeup on in the car. How you doing? God bless you, brother. Hallelujah. Glory. Get in the car, cry the whole way home. We think, we think that what attracts people is this image that we've never been through anything. That we've never made any mistakes. That we've always had it together. That's not what moves people. That's not what ministers to folk. What ministers to people is when you can say, I have dropped the ball. I have made some mistakes. But thanks be to God. He helped me to pick myself up. And, and I'm better because I've gone through it. And, and thanks be to God that I learned. I haven't always lived the perfect life. But God helped me to make it through. See, let me tell you something. God is more concerned about what is happening in you instead of what happens to you. Do you hear what I'm trying? See, we, we try to portray this image because we don't want anybody to, to think that we've ever had anything happen to us. God said, I'm not really concerned about that. What I'm more concerned about is what's happening in you. What, what's happening in you? 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 16, this is why the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Yet, watch this, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. So we don't fix our eyes on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary. That's here today, gone tomorrow. It ain't about nothing, but what is unseen is eternal. God says, I'm looking past all of that. I know you dressed up and all of that, but I'm not looking at that. I'm looking at, are you better because you've gone through it? Yes, you've been divorced. Yes, you've gone to prison. Yes, 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 you had unmentionables happen, but are you better? God says, that's what I want to know. Are you stronger? Can I tell you who's really anointed? The real anointed people are the people that have been through stuff and they came out on the other side better than they were when they went through it. Hallelujah. You need to high five somebody and tell them, that's who I am. I am, I am, I am a victor, not a victim. It is not about what happened to me. It's about what is happening in me. 
And I believe that God's going to work this thing out for my good. God wants all of us to get to a place where we are emotionally healthy. Because, because you don't reproduce what you say, you reproduce who you are. And if you're not emotionally healthy, every person you touch, you spread that toxicity. I don't have time to really unpack it, but let me give you a couple of hallmarks of what emotionally healthy people look like. Emotionally healthy people honestly and openly communicate in a gracious manner. Emotionally healthy people receive complaints, correction, and input in a gracious manner. Here's another one. Emotionally healthy people, this is a big one, take responsibility for their own behavior. Yeah, I don't want to hear about what everybody else is doing. What are you doing? Emotionally healthy people serve others without expecting anything in return. That's why we do serve days, and, and that's why we say get on the dream team, because your life comes alive when you begin to serve others, and not serve them because of what you want from them. Emotionally healthy people are joyful and faith-filled in the midst of difficult circumstances. Some of you are thinking, how can you do that? Because God brought you through other difficult circumstances. And if, if you allow God to do the work he wanted to do in you, then when you face a new difficult circumstance, you say, well, God is faithful. The last time I was in a difficult circumstance, he brought me through it. He worked it out for my good. And so just like he did then, he's going to do with this. So I can praise him in the midst of the difficulty. God, I bless you. I honor you. Because I know who you are, and I know somehow, some way, you will take what people and what the enemy meant for bad, and you're going to turn this thing around. I know that your plans for me are plans to, to prosper me and not harm me, plans to give me a hope and a future. So in the midst of difficulty, I'll still be joyful. I'll still be faith-filled when you're emotionally healthy. So how do, how do we deal with this baggage? Number one, you got to confront it. Number two... You got to live vulnerable. You got to live vulnerable. Samuel asked Saul, man, what, what happened? What happened? God gave you instructions. God told you what to do. What, what happened? God told you to completely take care of the Amalekites. But watch this. Instead of being vulnerable, instead of being transparent, Saul throws his defenses up, and you hear it in how he responds. Saul, Saul answered, Saul Saul answered Samuel and says, see, see, what had happened was the soldiers brought the sheep and the cattle from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and the cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest enough, Samuel said to Saul. Some translations say, stop, just stop, stop. He stops in mid-sentence. He's like, uh, cut it, cut it. I don't, uh-uh. I don't want to hear it. You're not being real. You're not being vulnerable. You're throwing up this defense mechanism. That's how Saul is trying to relate to Samuel from, from behind this wall, all of these excuses. He's not being vulnerable. He's not being transparent. And so often we do the same thing because we don't want to be hurt or because we don't want to be let down or disappointed. We put up this wall and we think, well, I got to protect my heart. But that's not your responsibility. It's God's. God never told us to protect our heart. He said literally that he would. He said he'd give us a new heart. See, many people, I don't expect to get any amens right in through here. Because many people think that being vulnerable is weak. That it's foolish to be, to be vulnerable. That if you're vulnerable, you're going to be hurt. So you don't do that because you never know how people are. And you don't do this and you don't do that. Many people see vulnerability as a weakness, but let me tell you something. Being vulnerable is not being weak. Actually, vulnerability is a strength. It takes strength for you to be in a relationship and, and, and be vulnerable. To have a relationship on any level, you cannot play offense and defense at the same time. This is so good. I got to get this message myself. And without being vulnerable... You will never experience real meaningful relationship. There's something called a fear dance in relationships. 
Well, when, when people are trying to build a relationship, whether it's personal, professional, or platonic, there's this fear dance when you're not being vulnerable because for fear of how people are going to receive you, you, you dance from, from behind a wall. And then when you, when you portray yourself that way, guess what? People can sense it. So then they do the same thing. And so through, throughout the relationship, Neither of you are really being open and transparent, so there's no deep, meaningful connection. You're just dancing the entire time. What did Jesus show us? I love this when Jesus appears a second time just for Thomas. Look at this in in John 20 and verse 24. It says, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the risen Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Thomas, come here. Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand, put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Jesus makes a second appearance, comes through a locked door just for Thomas. Thomas says, I don't believe. Thomas is not being vulnerable. Thomas has got this exterior, this shell that he's trying to relate to people from behind. And Jesus shows up. He says, Thomas, come here. You see my wounds? Notice Jesus didn't try to hide his wounds. He didn't try to pretend that the wounds were not there. He says, Thomas, come here and see the marks. Put your hand in my side. Jesus wins Thomas, watch this, by being a wounded healer. That's how we're called to do relationships. Not to cover our scars, but to say, this is who I am. This is, these are the scars that I've acquired over life. And, and if you want to connect with me, if you, if you want to roll with me, if you want to work with me, if you want to be in relationship with me, you, you got to see this. This is who I am. This is, this is everything that's made me who I am. And, and you need to know that if we're going to be real. Amen. How do I deal? How do I deal with this baggage? You got to confront it. You got to live vulnerable. And let me say this to you before I move on. I was going to rush past this, but I feel the Holy Spirit urging me to say this to you. Some of you are thinking, yeah, but pastor, when you're vulnerable and then when people can't handle you the right way or when they, when they take your vulnerability for weakness, see, that's why you shouldn't do that. Let me tell you something. If people are not mature enough to handle your maturity, it's not a statement about you. It's a statement about them. I was, I was in the mall, I was in the mall with our kids and we were just kind of loafing around uh, in a different city and we were just walking through the mall getting ice cream or something. And I like watches, that's kind of one of my hobbies, I just like, you know, watches. And so I went into this really high-end watch store and I was just glancing around, looking at the watches, just dreaming, man, wow, that'd be cool one day, and, uh, you know, just, just looking at them. And then there were some people that came in behind me, some young kids that came in and you know, they, they came in and they looked at one of the watches and saw the price and just went ballistic. They were talking loud. Oh, my goodness. Who can, man, you see how crazy? It, it's crazy. You see how much this watch is? They're talking all loud, you know, and it was one of them kind of, you know, nice soft music places. You know what I mean? When people come up to you, would you like some water, sir? You know, and they were like, man, this is crazy. Ain't nobody going to spend all that for a watch. And they just left the store. Now, here's the point. Do you think that the salespeople cared? Do you think that the salespeople said, you know what? We need to change the prices of these watches. <laughs> Absolutely not. They said, Mr. Moody, would, would you like to see some of these other watches that we have here? Can we show you this one? What am I trying to tell you? You don't lower your value just because somebody else is not mature enough to recognize something that is priceless. You don't condescend and think you need to change just because somebody can't appreciate your worth. Teach Pastor Van. Number three, trust God. 1 Samuel 15, verse 24, then Saul said to Samuel, he finally 
is open and honest. And he says, man, I'm, I've sinned. He said, I violated the Lord's commands and your instructions. And he tells them why. He says, I, I was afraid of the men, and so I gave in to them. So watch this. In a moment of fear, he ceases to trust God who called him in the first place. And he makes a decision in fear of how people are going to respond to him. Out of fear, Saul does what he does. And many of us follow that same pattern. When fear sets in in our relationships, we shut down. We say, no, let me just pull away. Let me, let me get this divorce. Let me walk away. Or let me just move from this company to the next one. Or out of fear because, because I, don't, I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know if I can trust them. And we, we put so much emphasis on them that we cease to trust God. So much so that often our prayers are based on our past. Yet when God answers our prayers, God's answer to our prayers are based on our future, not our past. Meaning we're talking to God about our past and God wants to talk to us about our future. Meaning he's not done yet. This is why you continue to trust him because the same God saw who anointed you and called you is the same God that will lead you all the way if you trust him. And it's really interesting to me how we can trust God for a car but we can't trust him in our relationships. You mean to tell me you can trust God for a raise but you can't trust him in your marriage? You mean to tell me that you can, you can trust God to enlarge your territory financially, but you can't trust him to heal a broken heart? You can't trust him to intervene in this situation? Well, let me just go ahead and do what I need to do because, you know, they're acting crazy. No, 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 no. We, we trust the Lord. For God, we live. What are we talking about? Well, you know, you know how long things have been like this. No, it doesn't matter how long they've been like this. We trust God. It's amazing how we can trust God for small things. But then the, the bigger things, we can't trust him for. And when you allow fear to dictate your life, that's what you end up focusing on. And whatever you focus on defines you. Whatever defines you shapes your life. So you allow fear and you allow all of the wrong stuff to end up shaping your life and defining you simply because you will not trust God. And I can't preach this to you. But I feel like I need to whisper this to you because somebody is, is teetering on making a relationship decision and, and you're about to make it out of fear. Not what God has said. Oh, I hear you, Pastor. Well, what else do I need to do? Here's the last one as I close and as the worship ministry is coming. I'm over my time. Forgive. Look at somebody near you and say, you got to Forgive. Now, you were just laughing about 10 minutes ago. <laughs> you got to forgive. 1 Samuel 15 and verse 25. Notice what it said. Now I beg you. It's the last thing that said. Forgive, forgive my sin. And come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. This is about whether or not Saul and Samuel are going to continue to walk together. And notice what is contingent on them journeying forward. Forgiveness. One of the greatest reasons that we haven't unpacked some of our bags is that we haven't forgiven the people that caused us that pain. And forgiveness is not just, oh, I forgive them, you know, nice little bandy word. Oh, yeah, I forgive them. No, 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 no. If you really forgive them, your bags are unpacked. There's no heaviness in your heart. You can see them and you can celebrate them. You can even pray for them and not have the same pain associated with what they did to you. And Jesus talks an awful lot about the power of unforgiveness. Because when you walk in unforgiveness, what Jesus says throughout the Gospels, particularly in the book of Matthew, is that it literally is the bait of Satan. That when you live with unforgiveness, you, you take the bait. I, I had an opportunity to take my son fishing. And I don't know much about fishing. I'm not a good fisherman. A couple of times I went fishing as a boy. And in Atlanta, you know, you fish, you put your line in the water, you just put a little worm. You just find your worm, put it on there, and drop it in. But we were fishing in a different place, not in, not in Georgia. And we had a guy take us out on a boat, and I just... You know, said, so what kind of worms we going to use? 
He said, no, he said, no, sir. Out here, we don't use worms. These, these fish don't take the worms. I, got, I have shrimp. You can catch these big fish. You need, a, you need shrimp. And sure enough, he lifted up the containers, all these live shrimp, and he would take them out, put them on our line, and he'd say, now cast it in the water. He says, because, because you need a certain kind of bait to catch these fish. The enemy knows that there's a certain kind of bait that works on some of us, and it's the bait of offense. When somebody has offended us, when somebody has said something about us, because we're so prone to harbor it and not forgive them, that, that hook. And it shuts down what God wants to do in our life because it's a trap. It's bait. I want you to hear me. Your future is too important to, to take the bait of the enemy. Your destiny, Saul, the kingdom is yours. It's too important. To, to deal with what they said, and I can't believe, and girl, what, what you hear? And they posted this on Facebook, and the devil is a lie. When I see them, let me post something back. Oh. And here's the thing. I was fishing with my son, and I, we caught some fish, some small fish. But the real big fish, the real, the real good ones, they, they, they know how to swim past your line. And they can just, huh, grab that shrimp and keep on swimming. That's so good. That's what God wants us to be able to do. When, when somebody offends us, to just say, oh, okay, and to keep on swimming. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Because your destiny is too important to live with unforgiveness. Say what you want to say. My eyes are focused on the Lord. But unforgiveness... It's that bait. Listen, every head bowed, every eye closed. I know that there are people under the sound of my voice, whether you're at Bessemer, whether you're here at Derby, whether you're at Anniston, whether you're online. And I sense so strongly that there's a tugging at your heart because there are things that you've held on to, bags, excess baggage that you've held on to for far far too long it's time to unpack those bags some of you have been carrying around the weight and you know what when you have excess baggage and you got to drag them around it gets heavy after a while the joy of the Lord the peace that God wants you to have it's hard to have that and all of the baggage at the same time I want to encourage you today unpack those bags Allow the Holy Spirit to flood your life and to clean up all of those places in your heart where hurt and resentment and bitterness and unforgiveness still live and really give you a new lease on life. We hope you enjoyed this message from Pastor Van Moody. For more information about Van Moody Ministries, please visit vanmoody.org. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed week.